Well, hello and welcome to episode 491 of the Plain Talk the UK podcast. Carlos here with you and in this week's show uh, we've got stories on maggots, high-flying maggots. Uh, we've also got some news as well on a very posh Airbus A350 and A380. And uh, Nev has, uh, well, Nev has got, uh, he might have a rant this week about something. We'll, we'll get to it. We'll poke the bear, see what happens. Uh, in the military news this week, we have got a very special interview indeed uh, with Richard Flagg from UK Airfields, uh, one of our listeners that devotes his spare time to finding and researching and documenting UK flying sites from years past. So, joining me on the show this week, as always, over in the studio, he's we'll, we'll give him a rest this week because he's still got that blooming cough, it's Matt Smith. Yeah, and I'm absolutely fed up of it as well, as I'm sure you guys are as well. It's like every time I jump on a phone call or a video call at all with you guys, and it's like... <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I'm having to keep all of my radio links really short as well, just so that I don't run out of steam. <laughs> Honestly. Oh... Uh, as I say, if anybody else has had this, I absolutely feel for you. I really do. Ugh, dear. But you're here. You're there. I you're am. pressing buttons. I am. I'm so good at that. Pressing buttons. I'll keep pressing <laughs> buttons. I'm good at that. <laughs> so he's uh, back on with us this week. He's our master of all things BA and seat 1A. And uh, Nev, you're, you're shattered again this week, aren't you? Yes, it's been a very hectic week again. Uh, been down in uh, Brighton at our office on the south coast with uh, customers uh, for the whole of yesterday and late into the evening yesterday as well. Um, and then this morning walked up from the Hilton Hotel on the on the seafront to our office uh, and the weather is atrocious. The wind and rain off the south coast is unbelievable at the moment and it was still raining when I dropped off my colleague at uh, Heathrow T4 uh, this afternoon. So so, uh, yeah, it's just been non-stop, but uh, a very busy week. No flying, I'm pleased to say, so nothing can go wrong. But uh, <laughs> we'll fix that next week, because I'm going to Edinburgh and Aberdeen. Oh, lovely. Tuesday. Yes, fingers so, crossed for some decent flights, Nev. Yes, and there's bound to be an incident, so I shall report that uh, <laughs> the following week. <laughs> lovely. Always positive. Yes. <laughs> so how, how are things with the uh, with the points, uh, Nev? Because obviously you're... you're you're still flying now, plenty and stuff. I yes, you're well, still, I've, you're sitting I, there in the gold tier still. Yes, I am, and uh, my the gold. Um, what's the word? Sort of threshold finishes at uh, in April the eighth for me. So I uh, will just about hang on to gold for the next year. Um, but as some of you may know, I will be uh, retiring from my company that I'm working for in about eleven months' time. So uh, that that will not be able to. <laughs> stand for much longer unfortunately so i could probably maintain silver after that but uh, uh we'll have to see but um no it, it's it's been good and um yeah the gold privileges have been very useful when things have gone wrong i must say that that's I been bet. very good but um to is, say is that there are substantial stretch? advantages over anything else it, it would be difficult to say that i have to say um, but is it uh, is it a big stretch nev to keep that up yeah it really is. In a word, um, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, you need 1,500 tier points per year in order to keep that going. Um, and I've had to fly 
a few sectors on business class at my own expense, in case my company is listening, uh, in order to get higher tier points, in order to get it over the line uh, for this coming April. So, um, but uh, yeah, uh, but no, it'll give me another year of, of gold, basically. So we'll see how we do. But um, yeah, looking forward to uh, the show tonight with lots of interesting stuff. There's a lot of good stories uh, on there this week, I've noticed. So, uh, and I did yes. say just before the show started, mm-hmm. I'm particularly looking forward to the military segment. Uh, <laughs> for reasons Pardon? I'm obvious. I'm sorry? Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> Caught me out of where's there. Oh, my word. Yep. That's, one, that's one for the blooper reel, isn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> anyway. So, as Dave said, we've got loads to get through this week. Got a caption this as well this week. For those of you who uh, follow us on the social medias, we've got a caption this photo, which is quite amusing. And... Uh, yeah, we've got that interview with Richard, which is very good indeed. I actually only got to listen to that this afternoon, so I have uh, have heard that already, Pre, pre-listen, which is always handy for us hosts. Uh, but, Matt, if you are ready... Always. Uh, can, we, uh, can we hit that button? Indeed. The captain has turned on the seatbelt light. Please take your seats and fasten your seatbelts. So, our first story comes to us this week from Sky.com, and uh, I'm sure you wouldn't, definitely wouldn't get this in seat 1A, and uh, we've all heard of snakes on a plane, mm. but how about maggots oh. on a plane? I hope we haven't so got any chaos. pictures of this. Have we got any pictures of this? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> chaos broke out on a flight after maggots <laughs> began raining down onto aircraft passengers from an overhead compartment. The absolutely gross situation saw the Delta flight forced to make a U-turn about an hour into the nine-hour trip from Amsterdam to Detroit. Passengers reported the back of the plane was left teeming with the larvae that it later emerged were emanating from a rotten fish. Oh, lovely. Jeez. Uh, someone said, my family and I were in the row directly in front of the maggots, said one passenger who goes by Nisha16 on the form, forum Reddit. Uh, the lady right behind us told the flight attendants the maggots were falling on her head. She said she turned round and they were wriggling around on the seat. She wasn't too impressed. The passengers added that one of their carry-on bags was next to the disgusting one and that the suspected culprit was still seated and did not exit the plane until the end of the flight. She said, I assume there are some consequences, but we're unclear what, they added. Another passenger, Kelsey, described her experience on a post on X. She said she complained about the absolute odd odour on board, but uh, that was the biggest disappointment, the lack of attention from the flight attendants. They were all sitting around in the crew area laughing and talking when we'd been on the aircraft for close to three hours with not even water offered, she said. The 28-year-old passenger was put on an alternative flight but described the process as a disaster after she was stuck in Atlanta waiting to get home. Delta described as a leader in domestic and international travel on its website, confirmed rotten fish and maggots were in the bag and apologised to the travellers. They said, we apologise to customers of Flight 113 Amsterdam to Dallas. Their trip was interrupted due to an improperly packed carry-on bag, uh, the airline told Sky News. 
The aircraft returned to the gate. The, air, the passengers were placed on the next available flight and the aircraft was removed from service for cleaning. Uh, the aircraft so. returned to Schiphol uh, around about 11 o'clock UK time uh, on that day. Now, what surprised me on this is there's, there's a picture of the flight track of this aircraft, obviously taking leaving Amsterdam airspace, crossing the North Sea. Then it makes a kind of a turn over uh, Leeds and then goes back to Amsterdam. Now, wouldn't you have thought, Nev, if, if things were that sort of bad, they would have just thought, oh, we'll put down in Manchester or... You know. No, I, I think probably because it's um, is it a Delta flight. Yeah, um, Delta. Yeah, that, that's yeah. a that's a big hub. Uh, Amsterdam's a very big hub for, for Delta, um, so it'd be better to get it back there. And actually, it's not that that far if you look uh, from from where they've uh, turned back. Um, but I've got so many questions about this this story. I mean, for a starters, getting it through um, the uh, X-ray machines, for example. I, I wonder what the ladies and gentlemen were looking at when this thing came through in in the first place. You'd, um, you'd think they'd and, spot stuff wiggling, wouldn't you? Well, <laughs> that there, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, but secondly, on uh, US flights like this emanating from European airports, often there are extra security checks and even sometimes US customs or US uh, immigration people uh, actually in Schiphol or London, depending on where it's going from, as a sort of a secondary check and just have a look at the passengers. Um, I would have thought that the smell of this would have been rancid to say the least. Astronomical um, is the word I'm going to use. It just even, doesn't even bear thinking about, does it? I mean, God. So, yeah. What, what, um, what do you write, Nick? Would you have been impressed with this? Um, I, well, when I read the... Um, when I read the story, I, I, it did surprise me that nobody picked up on the smell. That's a good question, I suppose, Nev. Who the hell brings fresh fish on board an aircraft? Well, uh, just to correct day. you, it wasn't fresh. It was definitely not fresh. <laughs> <laughs> Been there a while. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's just horrific, isn't it? Um uh, John uh, Falk uh, in the chat room says that, mind you, I have taken cooked crabs from Jersey uh, through both Jersey and London security. However, uh, John, uh, cooked crabs, I think, is, is one thing. Slightly different, yes. Horrific, <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> so, Richard oh, Adams no. says in the chat room, don't eat the fish. Yeah. No, literally. Very true. Yes, although it's added protein, though, I would say. That's one of the advantages, I guess, added protein. No? No, oh, just yeah. me? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, all I can think about, Matt, is, uh, and, and all you guys would appreciate this, I think, I think Amanda would not probably not appreciate it as much as us, but a bag of scampi fries from the... Uh, from oh, the yes, please. You know, when you open those up, I mean, they're fairly... Uh, strong is the word. Uh, but then this is the one week where we need Andy to tell us all about it, because he's got yes. boxes of them in his, in his pub. Oh, he has, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, Nev, you've got the next story and uh, all about uh, these highly qualified crews. Yeah, quite interesting. On aeronewsglobal.com, uh, it says that um, highly qualified Etihad flight crew now authorised to fly both Airbus A350 and A380 interchangeably uh, after successfully obtaining rigorous regulatory approvals and completing thorough pilot training. Etihad has achieved the qualification for its pilots to seamlessly uh, operate both the A350 and A3 aircraft uh, interchangeably. This 
milestone positions Etihad as one as one of the pioneering airlines globally to attain such versatility uh, in its pilots' capabilities. Airline pilots are typically restricted to flying only one aircraft type. However, under certain conditions such as high similarity of flight deck, pilot procedures and the implementation of special training, pilots may be enabled to operate two similar aircraft types through a dedicated uh, program approved by the aircraft manufacturer and the Civil Aviation Authority known as Mixed Fleet Flying. Uh, Mohammed Al-Baluki, Chief Operating Officer at Etihad Airways, said that Etihad is proud to be one of the very first airlines to qualify its pilots to both uh, the A350 and the A380. This achievement will enhance the resilience and flexibility of the airline's network and is testament to our commitment to continuously push the boundaries of efficiency, innovation and customer satisfaction and at all times ensuring safety is Etihad's number one priority. Over the past decade, the airline has obtained uh, similar approvals to qualify its Airbus pilots to interchangeably fly the A320 and A330 types, A330 and A340, and the Boeing pilots to fly the 777 and 787 types, setting new standards for fleet commonality. Well, of course, we've seen this with the 75 and 767s, uh, where pilots have common type ratings. And, of course, mm. there's the Airbus family of uh, A319, A320 and A321. Um, so, uh, But, uh, no, that's uh, that's a good thing, I think, when you've got sort of the, the ability to operate different types. But, of course, they, in terms of weights and, uh, and all the rest of it, there's... There's a lot of difference between the two aircraft in some respects. And, of course, one's four-engine and one's two-engine, isn't it? Uh, but, and uh, probably all aircraft in which uh, the legend that is Armando can already fly, probably. I mean, surely that, that must well, be, it's just both of those of... must be one of his time ratings, for goodness sake. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, that's, that's uh, good, good to hear that. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, they've got a mixed fleet, uh, as he had, of, uh, as Nev said, Boeing and uh, Airbus aircraft. But uh, one of the things that always strikes me with these is I love the livery. I do like the Etihad livery. It's one of my favourites out there, personally. What they've got, especially on the... Uh, it looks great on the uh, 350s. Really, really good. Nick, you're OK? Your, your audio seems to be OK now. Or not, as the case may be. <laughs> no, oh well, never mind. He's Nearly. always not fine. <clears throat> Uh, I better oh, well, take this which, one. Which, story, no, uh, which one was it? Sorry, oh, uh, number it's story number three. Story number three. All right, then I shall do the honours. Then uh, are you sure, Matt? Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, two seconds. <laughs> oh yeah, we just we just move everything around a little bit. Uh, okay, uh, nickel nickel fiddle with the uh, fiddle with his bits and get that one all sorted. Simpleflying.com is the website, and the headline is premium leisure startup uh, beyond. Beyond B E O N D. Just I know when it. I saw this, yeah, I, I thought, thought it was like I thought oh, somebody spelled, spelled Boeing wrong. wrong or something. Anyway, uh, Beyond uh, will offer Apple Vision Pro to passengers. Ooh, hello, Nev. Do I have your attention? Uh, yeah, in yeah. a bid to transform and revolutionise the in-flight experience, the startup airline Beyond will offer Apple Vision Pro headsets to its passengers on flights to the Maldives. Uh, the virtual reality VR headset will have the 
airline's content and immersive experiences showcasing the best of the Maldives. Uh, according to Tero Taliska, the chairman and chief executive officer of Beyond, the Apple Vision Pro will fundamentally change the passenger experience in terms of the in-flight entertainment IFE offered to passengers on board the airline's aircraft. The airline said it will be the first to provide the VR headsets to its customers. In addition to the currently available content on its IFE system, including movies and games, the Apple Vision Pro headsets will showcase the stunning sights of the Maldives, alluring passengers to try out resort destinations or activities in the country. Uh, we are working now with partners in the Maldives to prepare truly amazing footage. The in-flight experience will build anticipation for passengers before they arrive in the Maldives. Uh, Tuscula uh, concluded that the offering uh, of the Apple Vision Pro is another step in Beyond's goal to deliver a premium travel experience to its customers with the carrier being uh, with the carrier being the first to offer the VR headsets to its passengers who travel to the Maldives. I don't know how many more times I could say the word Maldives, uh, the airline. It's which, a lovely place. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'll take your word for that. The airline, which began operations in October 2023 and operated its first flight the following month, focuses on providing a luxurious experience on flights uh, to from Mail Velana uh, International Airport in the Maldives. Currently, Beyond offers direct flights from VIA to Dubai. Oh, nice. Okay, uh, and. Um, and several other airport ports in the area as well, including Munich and also Zurich uh, via uh, uh, all via Dubai, by the look of things, uh, from what I can see there. Uh, the uh, It looks like uh, Malpensa Airport will join the airline's network in March 2024. Beyond began services with a single Airbus A319 CEO configured in an all-business class configuration, seating 44 passengers. The aircraft registered as eight Quebec Foxtrot Bravo Alpha was originally delivered to EasyJet in 2004. Subsequently, Chile's Sky Airline took over the aircraft in 2012 before Germany-based CAC charter airline Sundayer uh, took over the ownership of the BizJet uh, between 2019 and 2021. Uh, I won't read uh, much more of the story, but we get the gist there. I, I don't know. So what are these... Um so, so, so they're essentially they're, they're like VR headsets. So you, I think uh, Meta did one, didn't they? Facebook did like um, the Opus or whatever it was that you could put over over your your face and stuff. I, I mean, I guess in some respects, I mean, it saves the requirement for um, like screens and stuff in the headset. You know, in the headsets and stuff, I suppose uh, easier to charge. I guess because you can charge it all up from a USB port. Um, I guess though, Nev, the the old Wi-Fi infrastructure will need to be quite. Um, Robust, Ro yes, quite strong and powerful in order to be able to deliver the data flows that are required. I mean, I guess it will be on board servers rather than sort of through the air. Well, yeah, and I, I, I don't want to be accused of being negative at all here, but <laughs> I can see a couple of immediate problems, and they've already been mentioned in the chat room. The possibility of some air sickness going on as well with, with this, because. I think if you can't see, if you haven't got your peripheral vision going on properly, yeah. and there's a bit of turbulence going on in the flight, or even if there isn't, um, I think that could be a bit odd for a lot of people. Um, but also, when the uh, 
um, cabin crew are coming through the aircraft asking if you would like a drink or, or, or some food and you've got your Vision Pro headset on, hmm. well, you're not going to see them, are they? <laughs> no. They're going to have to tap you on the shoulder and you'll sort of um, jump up with a start. Probably. I mean, I suppose um, I suppose it's one way of making sure that they've watched the safety video thoroughly because we'll all be so nerding out by this amazing device that's attached to our face, essentially. Oh, dear. I don't, I don't know. Also, don't it's know. like you're, you're flying to the Maldives. Why do you need to wear a VR headset to experience the Maldives if you're going to the Maldives? You said that a lot there, man. Yeah. That's a, could, that's a reasonable point, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, well, you know, why, why not do it in full-on proper 3D? You know, it's got smell-o-vision and everything. <laughs> or, or look out of the window. In the Maldives' defence, so it is stunning place. Me and Gemma went there for our honeymoon. And it's oh, I'm sure. Amazing, amazing place to go. Mm. Yeah. But uh, so I will say one thing. I do like this beyond paint scheme they have on their aircraft. Really? Yes. It's quite funky, isn't it? Yeah. Is it? Hang yeah. on a minute. Have we got some pictures? I'm just having a look. Where are we? No, I haven't. Oh, yes, looks, I have. Yes, I have. It looks quite corporate, I think, Nev. Mm. Is that the word? Corporate? Kind of. one word for it. Reminds me a little bit of the Formula One management uh, jet color. <laughs> ah, uh, yeah. But, um, yes, no, it's uh, very nice. Very nice indeed. Mm. But, uh, yeah, the VR headset thing, the Apple Vision Pro, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I mean, I'd like I'll an Apple Vision Pro to give it a go, but I wouldn't yes. necessarily want to be on a plane trying it out, if you sort of... No. <laughs> um, yeah. And also, if there is some sort of in-flight... Well, is it, I don't know how it would work. I mean, if it's an in-flight issue where the, the captain or, you know, the cabin crew have to do a PA, for example, and you're immersed in this, this world... Uh, uh, you'll have tuned out from anything else that, that's on the flight. But, I mean, surely it would cut in and out like it does when they do... Well, like, when you're yeah, watching an on-board mm, film and, and that, doesn't it? It sort yes. of interrupts the audio <clears> of what you're watching. Yeah. And, and then it's sort but of But it, it could come as a bit of a shock, couldn't it? Because yeah. if you... if You, you know, you're, the, these things are so immersive. And I used to work mm. for a company that did this, this 3D stuff, um, you know, back in... The, uh, well, late 2000s, it was. Mm. Um and you really do tune out from everything else. So if there's a sudden a PA announcement or mm. some kind of instruction from the flight deck, uh, you're going to jump out of your seat if you're immersed yourself in something that it, it's showing. I would have thought, but um, yeah, well, you know, it, it's it's technology and it's progress, isn't it? That's uh, that's one word for it. Yes, I don't know if I agree with you, Nev, but yes, it is technology. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. We, where we go to <laughs> next within flight entertainment, you know, well, uh, where can you go next? Unless you, ha unless you uh, have a flying disco or nightclub, I suppose. Oh. Hmm. An idea. Sorry, sorry yeah. to interrupt. We interrupt our usual programming to give you an, an update on the uh, weather situation here. We've got more wind coming, Carlos. A yellow weather warning has just oh, been issued brilliant. for our part of the world. That's, That's good, isn't it? Yay. Yes. <laughs> oh, well, that'll be a sitting in front of the TV weekend for me. Anyway, a question that we ask um, ourselves, I think. I Nev may have asked himself this once or twice on his many flights. And this comes from paddleyourowncanoe.com. And uh, is it acceptable to go for a walk around the aircraft during a long-haul flight? I'm going to say yes, because I've I'll done it several times. I'll ask you in a minute. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> 
Matt, you can walk around wherever you like. You can go wherever you like. No, thank you. Uh, an interesting question <laughs> recently arose on the popular frequent flyer talk forum at Flyer Talk, which someone asked if it was acceptable to walk up and down the aisle in order to stretch your legs and get some steps in. Uh, the passenger asked the question because they were flying in British Airways Club World. When they went to walk to the back of the aircraft, they discovered that there was a rope separating business class. A, r a rope, Dev? Uh, <laughs> of course, the rope is there to start. The Electric fence, I think, if never had his way. Of but course, uh, <laughs> the rope is there to stop economy passengers. <laughs> Neville balance. Then rope, Nev, is there to stop economy class passengers from entering the premium cabin. Uh, but might be okay for someone to take the rope down, or is it okay for someone to take the rope down to go for a walk? An interesting question this may be. The first instinct is a flight attendant who is very aware of the danger of unexpected turbulence is that passengers should remain seated and strapped into their seats as much as possible. So going for strolls around a cabin isn't strongly advised. But when uh, this particular editor looked into this a little more, this isn't actually the official answer that many airlines advise their passengers. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Knowing that Qantas has for many years gone to great lengths to educate passengers about the risks of deep vein thrombosis or the clot that can develop in the lower leg or thigh pelvis when sitting down for long periods of time, Qantas has lots of exercise suggestions that passengers can perform on in their seats to reduce the risk of DVT. But interestingly, Qantas also encourages its passengers to get up out of their seats and occasionally go for a walk down the aisles. Uh, the caveat to that uh, advice is, of course, that passengers should only go for a stroll and, they quote, when the seatbelt sign is off and when it's safe to do so. I mean, you, mean you can't really, you know, when a turbulence is going to hit, do you? I mean, that's why we have the seatbelts on when we sit down. Uh, but to back to British Airways, which was the airline that the person who posed the question uh, on Fly Talk was flying. Uh, BA has rem uh, remarkably similar advice to their passengers, Nev, uh, suggesting that uh, passengers take a walk around the cabin regularly to reduce the risk of DVT. Other suggestions include simply to stand, simply standing in your seat, okay, and stretching your arms and legs and avoiding crossing your arms and legs when sitting down. This is particularly important to passengers, particularly those uh, with a wide set of risk groups that includes everyone aged over 40. Oh, thanks. Uh, pregnant passengers, people who have cancer or blood clotting issues, and those who have previously suffered from DVT. In addition, Qantas says smokers and obese passengers should also make an effort to walk around a cabin, as well as anyone who is dehydrated or has suffered a heart failure or has varicose veins. Oh, my... But honestly, this is getting... It's never fly again. Aside from limiting strolls to when the seatbelt signs are switched off, there are also some other simple etiquette hints that suggest ideally limited walks from time to time outside of the food and beverage service when you might block the aisles and try not to stare at other passengers. That's something I do very often. Uh, also, uh, during flights, take lots of care when walking in the aisles. Arms and legs are no doubt sticking out in front of the aisle. There could also be trash or rubbish on the floor which might be a slip hazard also might most flight attendants don't have any issues with you coming into the galley although try not to drag these visits out for too long if there are too many people standing in the galley or by the doors you'll be instructed to return to your seat because there aren't enough oxygen masks in the event of decompression nev you're on a long flight you're in your your seat 1a with ba 
you know, do you get up very often and have a wander around or? Uh, occasionally. Um, occasionally I might go and chat to the crew in the, the galley if, if they're not busy and things like that. But I don't do what was, what I saw on a, well, it was quite a long time ago, obviously it was a BADC10 from London Gatwick to uh, Dallas Fort Worth. Um, there were at least two people that I observed that were doing power walking throughout the cabin. What? Not just a stroll. <laughs> But what? vigorous walking, I mean, let alone what it did to the, uh, you know, the trim of the aircraft, but none, nonetheless, um, it was just ridiculous. And actually, the, the cabin crew said, can you not do that, sir? Yes, I'm, I'm just, um, you know, I've got DVT problems and yeah, get all that. So you just get up and do some slower walking, perhaps, or mm. some stretching. Uh, but this is not, um, you know. Uh, Crystal Palace athletic circuit or something like that. So uh, that that was a bit odd. But no, I've got no objection to people doing that because I think it's reasonable if you're on a you know long haul flight to, to to do that. But yeah, just take a bit of care. Obviously, that kind of goes without saying, doesn't it? Really? I think this this is easier if you're on a long haul flight because you've got two uh, twin aisles on you know. Well, ah, on. this is uh, and we come back to my point of single aisle operations across mm. the North Atlantic. Mm. So one of these days when I can afford it, I'm going to take one of these flights and see what it's like, because I'm, I'm getting a lot of criticism from people uh, that uh, I don't think it's a great idea, personally. But if um, you're on a single hour flight for seven or eight hours, I think that's quite challenging um, as far as the crew service is concerned and, and that kind of thing. But again, stretching and, and walking around. Uh, you know what it's like on a short-haul flight if you're just trying to get from one part of the cabin to the other. Uh, to use mm -hmm. the bathroom, perhaps. Um, but, um, no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm all in favour of people having a stretch. But, uh, no, don't, don't do the power walking. Leave that to the, the park run or something like that. <laughs> or if you're in uh, Emirates flying in, is it first class, you can all obviously get up and uh, have a shower, Nev. Oh, well, that's true. Yes, good yeah. idea. Yeah, but yep. you see, my okay. idea of going for a power walk is to go, if, if you are on an Emirates flight and you're on an A380, A380, it's the power walk to the bar. That's to the bar. All yeah, that's all I'm interested <laughs> in. <laughs> I did think about that earlier, actually, Matt. You, just, you must have read my mind. Yeah. I had visions of sitting at the bar in, in, in the 380. Yeah, that's not a bad, uh, not a bad call. Plus, it's, it's quite a big area as well. I, I, I got the chance to, to have a look around a few years, well, a few years back now, uh, with, we flew with Emirates on the 380, and it's, it's quite a a nice area the, the bar area on there it's yeah. you know the seats are comfy and it's it is a nice area to go and sit down and kind of chat and stuff so i must say one one of our one of our mutual friends said were sent me uh, a photo of them working behind the bar uh, on there and that was quite that mm. was quite a that was quite an awesome i thought yeah i'd i'd have loved to work that bar because it's quite a small bar so it's it is only one person who works behind there and you know it's like myspace <laughs> yeah, Richard that. Adams in the chat room says that he's surprised that Emirates don't have a gym in first class. <laughs> not a facility I would be using. No, 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 absolutely <laughs> not. I may um, walk park it, past it to have a look at what other people are doing, but oh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because it's like you know, yeah. So uh, my my idea of uh, of exercise on a, on a flight is the lifting of the uh, drinking receptacle with your chosen beverage. Mm. Indeed. But no, it, it it makes you think, doesn't it, what we are going to see in the future when it comes to long haul flights and how you can be entertained. You know, what obviously we've got bars, we've got showers. Where's it going to go? 
Mm -hmm. I'm just waiting to see when people are going to start walking around the aisle with their VR headset on. Yeah, yes. And, and, and bumping into people and being a nuisance. That will be the next thing, won't it? Now, Nev, you've got the next story, and it's uh, covering a, a, an airline or a startup airline we, we were chatting about not too long ago, weren't we? Yeah, I've been following this uh, w with some keenness, I have to say, just to see what, what happens. Uh, it's on aerotime.aero, uh, and it says that British startup uh, Global Airlines completes its first A380 test flight in the US. Uh, well, they've successfully completed this uh, with the uh, A380-841 aircraft. Uh, the aircraft, which is registered 9 Hotel Golf Lima Oscar Bravo Lima, took off from Mojave Air and Spaceport in the Californian desert on the, uh, February the 15th, uh, just gone, uh, just before 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. According to Flight Radar 24, the flight lasted 21 minutes as the A380 circled twice close to the airport in the Mojave Desert before coming back down to land at 9.17am. Later in the day, the Global Airlines A380 took to the skies once more for its second test flight, taking off at just after 2.45pm. Uh, the aircraft, which is operated by Highfly Malta, performed a single lap of the area and landed back at Mojave at 3.06pm. Uh, the two test flights represent a significant milestone for the carrier and its CEO and founder James Asquith. Uh, following the test flights, uh, Asquith wrote on ins Instagram, I'm a bit lost for words right now and all sorts of emotions. Uh, Global Airlines and our first A380 flight, the number one tracked flight worldwide by quite some distance on a flight radio. 24. Thank you to the many people supporting us. He added, there's so much work that has gone, uh, gone on to get to this point, but there's more to do. So for now, it's head down and more work. But for the whole team and the hundreds of people that have worked tirelessly to get to this point, thank you, he says. Uh, well, Global Airlines was launched in 2021 with ambitions to build a carrier that would fly an A380 uh, on transatlantic flights from London to New York and Los Angeles. But over the last few years, the airline has steadily built the infrastructure in terms of aircraft and staffing to position itself as a credible startup carrier, despite many observers reckoning that it would not be possible. Uh, Global Airlines took full ownership of the aircraft, which was previously owned by China Southern, on February the 2nd, deregistering it in the United States and re-registering it in Malta. Prior to the test flights, the aircraft last flew on December the 22nd, 2022, and for the last 13 months, it's been based at Mojave, where, it been, where it's been serviced by expert teams. Uh, Global Airlines previously acquired an A380 registered uh, Bravo 6140 from Doric, which is a German-based investment firm, in May 2023. Uh, but this aircraft is the first fully-owned plane to fly for the carrier. Uh, Global Airlines had entered agreements to purchase four A380 aircraft and plans to begin operations in the second half of this year. So uh, I do notice that I'm connected with uh, Richard, sorry, with James Asquith on the old LinkedIn. Mm. Uh, so I'm going to drop him a note and see if he fancies coming on the show Ooh, yeah, to do an interview, uh, which would be quite nice, wouldn't it? Let's see it what would. I'd love to hear more about this. Mm. So, uh, yeah, fascinating. Think, we'll see uh, what happens. I do like a nice livery because sometimes some airlines can have some pretty boring liveries out there. Mm. Um, Air France being one of them. Um, oh, I, do I love say the this. scandal. Sorry. Uh, I do love the livery on here. On their website, I don't know if you've seen the uh, Global Airlines website, it does show, obviously, the 380 there, unlike a, uh, you know, a, <coughs> what they call them. And a, a, not a, it's a video, 
of the aircraft with the colours and stuff. It does look really stunning with the tile and stuff. But um, be, be inter interesting to see if this works, Nev, and also pricing. Yes. I think we need to see what the commercials are going to be uh, as yeah. well. So, uh, yeah. But uh, no, it would be uh, interesting to go for a ride on this aircraft, wouldn't it? That's for sure. So Indeed. We'll see. Yeah. I wonder how much of the interior they kept the same. Mm. with the you know this yeah. the seating and the business class kind of arrangement mm. yeah we've not got a lot of information about any of that mm. at all really have we at the moment so need to get him on we need to get him on yeah. yes yeah no uh i don't think nick is back nick is with us but he's not i think his audio is still uh, playing up this evening but uh uh, next story. Um, shall I take this one? No, I can do it. That's all right. You're right, yeah, Matt. Yeah, no, yeah. He's, he's still there. He's still yeah. with us, Matt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so the next uh, next story aviation24.be is the website uh, source. Uh, now, uh, Nick, who put the, the show notes together this week, saying uh, many, many questions with this one. Um, and uh, we'll. Uh, get into that i think in a moment so marathon airlines operating for air serbia embraer 195 lr hits runway lights during takeoff at belgrade airport uh, in the evening in the evening of 18th of february that's a very um, unusual way of writing uh, things uh, so basically on the 18th of february a marathon airlines operating for air serbia embraer 195 lr is that long range is that what lr stands for yes yes <laughs> Uh, let's hope for me yet. Uh, was operating flight Juliet Union. Uh, uniform. Uniform, sorry, nearly. Uh, 324 between Belgrade, Serbia and Dusseldorf in Germany. During takeoff at Belgrade Airport, however, the aircraft overran the runway at the runway 30 and subsequently hit the runway lights. Data retrieved from Flight Radar 24 revealed that the aircraft took off from the from an intermediate taxiway, leaving only reduced length for takeoff. What? The pilot decided to stop the climb, really, uh, to burn off some fuel and return back to the airport of Belgrade, presumably to leave their licence details for the uh, claim that was no doubt forthcoming. <laughs> uh, on first approach, the Embraer climbed again to attempt a second and successful landing about one hour after initial takeoff. Nobody got injured during the mishap, but the aircraft sustained substantial damage, as seen on the pictures that appeared on social media. Um now um my my thoughts are yeah this the is a, this amount is a... of noise that must have been yeah the passengers seated just above where the the uh, wing route is mm. i don't know whether you've got the picture I'm, I'm, I'm giving that a go now uh, chat amongst but yourselves will you um i mean i've got a little I mean, video is we'll that... look at it yeah we've got yeah. a video we'll play as well for those of you who may not have seen the video it was, yeah um, indeed there's no media. audio on it so uh, you may need to just uh, sort of describe it there's i think the best way to describe it is a little bit of a puff of smoke isn't there there we go yeah um, i i i said before we went live it just looks like someone's nicked a plane and has kind of gone on a on a joyride. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I was watching uh, Juan Brown's channel, the Blanco Lero channel, uh, earlier today, and he did a very good review of, of what he was seeing here. And basically, the crew took off from taxiway Delta 5, which is halfway down the runway. <clears throat> what? Um, now, I, I'm sure these aircraft have got very good performance, but I think even that's a, a bit of a stretch somehow. Um, and they literally ploughed off the end of the runway and taking a lot of the runway lighting and localizer and antenna with them. 
um, but the damage that it's done to the aircraft is extremely substantial. And the other thing he pointed out, again, which is what I don't understand, is why the crew held for nearly an hour to burn off some fuel. Um, well, I w having just had a big moment like that, I think I'd want it back on the deck a bit sharpish and uh, we'll fill out the paperwork later on for the overweight landing, you know. Um, I mean... Um, just a horrific uh, situation there. And clearly, I don't know whether it was a massive uh, miscalculation with the takeoff runway length that was required when they were doing all the stats before they departed or, or, or what. But, uh, you know, there was ne that was never going to work, was it? Uh, um, even with the most lightest laden there. I mean, the, the, the damage here, though, Nev, is frankly... I mean, I'm amazed that there wasn't a catastrophic ending to this. I know they're pretty robust. But I mean, I mean, you just got to look like essentially where the wing and the engine sort of attach to the mm. the fuselage. There, there are mm. large gaping holes in there, and I know. I guess most of that outer skin is just sort of like covering. I guess rather carbon. than I think it's is it carbon yeah. fibre on these? Some, is it? I'm not sure. Um, no. But uh, it, so, there's, there's pictures when it landed of a lot of leaking something coming out of there, whether yeah. it was fuel or hydraulic fluid or, or, or whatever it was. But this could uh, have so easy, as you say, and they're they're in the hold for now. Look, I mean, even like on you know on the tail, not, on not the, the horizontal stabilizer. Yeah, yeah that's a big thing out that of that is a as big well. Thing out of, so, I mean, I'm amazed yeah. it flew as well as it yeah. did, frankly. Well, it, if you look at uh, Juan's um, channel, and you'll see how far off because it's got all the ADSB data as well. How far off the end of the run it was still going before it started to climb and got a positive rate of climb um, so it you know it wasn't even close you know it wasn't though it was it just went over the, the, the runway threshold and clipped something this was plowing through a lot of metal and mm. I think uh, there's going to be some serious questions asked about most of which uh, is still the and, in the and the figures yeah. that, they are, that they departed with <laughs> I mean, how long do you... Dis I mean, again, again this, is, this is not a question perhaps we can answer, but, I mean, presumably the airport had to be closed for a significant time while they put all these runway lights back Well, in they said that they, they downgraded it from uh, Cat 3 operations to Cat 1 operations. Because wow, yeah. There's just so much... There's uh, no lights. So, much <laughs> um, so, but, yeah, it was... They were um, all on their way to Serbia, essentially. Yeah, now, <laughs> interestingly enough, I also saw uh, a video this week on YouTube um, with a business jet uh, about to depart from Madeira, uh, Funchal, uh, which is always a bit uh, interesting with, you know, landing in there because of the high winds and the, and the high terrain. And actually they tried or they requested a um, intersection departure. It was only a small biz jet, so there's plenty of runway available, but uh, the airport wouldn't allow it. They just said, no, you've got to go to the, uh, the, the starting end of the runway, almost, at, you know, the threshold of the runway mm. before you commence your uh, takeoff run. So that's actually a an airport operation thing not not a pilot thing um so they had to do a, a literally a 180 on the runway and go back to the uh, the, the threshold again, of the takeoff yeah. runway now i also think that i don't know what atc thought about this when they saw that you know this aircraft and they know where it's going to so you can estimate what the load might have been obviously you don't know what the, the fuel loads are and all the rest of it mm. but seeing it depart from delta five halfway up uh, the, the runway uh, must have been a bit concerning for ATC even watching this, I, I would have thought. But, um, well, that's there it is, you know. Um, I, ju so. I just think we're genuinely lucky that something more catastrophic did not occur here. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's, 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 it's astounding, frankly. Mm. I was going to say, this aircraft's going to be out of service for quite some time, but then Captain Cruise in the chat room says, given the age of the aircraft, it's 
probably going to be a write-off. Oh, really? Mm. Yes, um, and also uh, he says that the tower apparently questioned the, the Marathon uh, Airlines about w whether they are sure. In other words, are they sure they, they want to depart from uh, mm. uh, from uh, from Delta Five? But yeah, that was a, a a very very lucky moment, and that that's it's just, just down to luck. That's that's all it was. Yeah, if yeah. there'd been yeah. anything else that had gone on there, I mean, there could have been substantial. Uh, you know, in-flight fuel leak, hydraulic lines being severed, um, brakes in op. I mean, all sorts of things could have gone on there. Um, just doesn't bear thinking about, does it? No, it really doesn't. It really doesn't. So our next story uh, comes to us from SybilFlying.com. Something else you wouldn't want to have um, happen while you're in, a, in an airliner or aircraft. And uh, this uh, story is Wings uh, Air or Wings Air. ATR-72 damaged after being shot while on approach pa to the runway in Indonesia. Beg your pardon? No. God, if it isn't bad enough hitting lights, you're being shot at. Uh, in the depths of Papa region of Indonesia, a Wings Air Avions de Transport Regional flight was operating from Jaipur to Dekai when on approach, the ATR-72 was shot at as it descended onto the runway 07. No injuries were reported from the 36 passengers on the flight, and according to data from flightradar24.com, the aircraft remains on the apron at Nopgalth Dikai Airport, located in the Yakimo Regency of Highland Papua. Uh, the airport is one of seven airports that connects over 517 villages uh, in the region. While the airport can manage up to 300 passengers per hour, most services are destined for Jaipur's Dorothy's uh, Hoyo LOA International Airport, or DJJ, the largest airport in Papua, and the most eastern in Indonesia. Photos from the incident shared on X identify the bullet holes, penetration of the fuselage, and where it entered the aircraft uh, just onto seat 19A. Uh, the aircraft was able to land safely after the incident. Now, Matt, I don't know whether you've got the um, pictures there uh, of this, but, um, yeah, not the sort of thing you want to be seeing when you're sitting in seat 19A. Not that, obviously, Nev would see not this. Not the place I would be, obviously. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because the, the, the damage from the outside just looks like a sort of like a basically uh, yeah. small hole. But inside, it's, you know, it's, it's quite the event inside. Mm. <clears throat> you know, it's uh, uh, looking at the picture here. So it's, it's conveniently gone between two windows um, and it's taken the, um, I don't know, it's not plaster, is it? But whatever the equivalent. Plastic coating. Yeah, the plastic coating that's on the, yeah. the fibreglassy type sort of like in, innards. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite the damage. I mean, potentially somebody could have been in the way of that, I guess. Yeah. And I think this is we've we've seen stories like this in the past on the show in in countries you know out of the way like this these events do do sometimes happen and you never know it might have been someone out hunting. You never know. I mean, sure, why not? <clears throat> but then you shouldn't be flying drones or shooting guns near an airport, as we all know. No. So, moving on to the next one, Nev, uh, you've got some good news, possibly good news, for uh, residents of the UK. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it's about time we had some uh, runway additions, isn't it? And um, this is from the Express. Uh, .co.uk. Uh, it's all about Manston Airport. Of course, that was shut down uh, in 2014. I can't believe that it was that long ago after some reporting huge losses. Uh, well, this abandoned airport uh, in a county bordering London, it says, uh, which is Kent, obviously, has potential to reopen uh, soon as it plans to offer cheap flights to some of the popular destinations in Europe. Manston Airport, which is in Thanet in Kent, was shut down in 2014. Uh, River Oak Strategic Partners, who's a developer, has since purchased the small airport for £16 million, with up to £500 million set to be injected into its redevelopment. Well, these plans, if they come to fruition, have the potential to generate thousands of jobs, both directly and indirectly, with the airport projected to reopen as soon as 2025. I would thought that would be a bit optimistic, I have to say. Uh, although initially set to function as a cargo airport, if services are profitable, then it could lead to passenger flights by 2028, with wider plans unfolding over a 15-year period. These include up to four passenger stands and 19 freight stands at its peak, but not everyone is in favour of it, with the local community citing increased noise and climate harm amongst their issues against it. Well, there's been a lot of talk about possible destinations with Spain, Cyprus, and Malta being mentioned as options. However, the final decision will depend on the airlines. And at present, it's believed that the conversations are going on between Ryanair and EasyJet, reported My London. However, many people in the area are strongly against the plans to improve the airport, and they're concerned about things like climate change, damage to historical sites, noise, how the airport will work, and how it will affect local roads. Uh, earlier this month, a judicial review brought by a local campaigner of the UK government's decision to grant a development consent order was dismissed, which uh, Kent Live reported. Uh, but the campaigner is pushing back against the dismissal of the latest legal challenge to the plans. Uh, RSP said of the recent, uh, recent judicial review dismissal, said, uh, we have just been notified that the application for a judicial review of the government's decision to grant the DCO has been dismissed. We now look forward to getting the process of turning Manston into a state-of-the-art air freight hub underway and working to support the long-term economic development of East Kent through the reopening of Manston uh, that was set out in the application. Um, well, I mean, firstly, I mean, this airport was perfectly serviceable back in you know back at the time i oh, know there was you know, big financial problems but this is a ten thousand feet runway so it's the same as gatwick mm. airport basically and virgin used to use it for training and i think ba did back in the day as well and as well as a number of um operators that that uh, came out of there and in fact there was a couple of operators that did long haul uh, business jet uh, sorry business class only flights uh, to to the US and of course this was our originally RAF Manston which and the airfield on the site goes to date back as early as the 1930s uh, and many of the former World War II bomber based uh, bases discussed in last week's show. It was a very strategic location for the European air war, of course. Uh, it was returned to the 19... Actually, the airfield was used by the US Air Force during the 1950s, uh, but uh, was returned to RAF use in 1960. Um, so, uh, well, I, I mean, I hope it does reopen, uh, but it's... My word, there's an awful lot of work to, to, to get it to... Uh, an operational stage, I would have thought. Yeah, it's uh, got a longer runway than Norwich, our local airport here. Yeah. Which, uh, Norwich is just over 6,000 feet. 
mm. as Nev said, uh, excuse, excuse me, London, uh, London Norwich, right, London I'll have Norwich. you know. Sorry, really... yeah, Manson is just over 9,000 feet, and actually, uh, Stansted Airport, uh, our sort of local, lot more mostly used airport, is uh, only 10,000 feet, Nev, so it's only yep. uh, just a little bit bigger than Manson. So, I mean, Manson mm. would be would work if they can, um, you know. Build, build on it what, what's already there. Um, like you said, it's going to cost a fortune, I think, to, um, to put right. But Yes. But it's, it's quite, it's quite a slog for you, though. Yes. Yeah, well, we'll keep an eye on this one because I think, it, you know, if, if it is going to happen, then that will, will be an interesting story uh, But uh, and see what sort of operation they end up with uh, out of there. Mm. Mm. Uh Matt, do you want the next one? Are you? Yeah, yeah, no, can do. This is, uh, this is, I found this one this week and dropped this in to Nick when he indeed popped this in the show notes. So I th- thought this is quite interesting, actually, for someone who's I've seen it once. Okay, oh, all right. Well, let's find let's find out more about it. Uh, it's the and finally story for the commercial section this week. Uh, Travel and Tour World is the website, uh, travelandtourworld.com. And the headline, Delta Airlines are taking you to watch a total solar eclipse. Ooh, I like the sound of that. For those eager to witness a total solar eclipse from an aerial perspective, Delta is set to provide a unforgettable experience this April in a unique offering the airline has scheduled a special journey from Austin to Detroit on the 8th of April 2024 designed with Eclipse enthusiasts in mind. This flight aims to maximise the duration spent in the Eclipse's path of totality. Uh, Scheduled as Delta Flight 1218 this exclusive trip will be aboard an A220-300 aircraft chosen for its oversized windows to enhance the Eclipse viewing experience. Departing from Austin at 12.15pm CT and arriving at Detroit at 4.20pm ET the timing is uh, meticulously planned to optimise viewing of the eclipse at its most spectacular moment. Oh my goodness me I hope they didn't pick up a delay. That would almost be hilarious. Uh, Eric Beck Managing Director of Uh, domestic network planning highlighted the collaborative effort behind this flight stating the dedication and teamwork at Delta have made it possible to curate an experience that brings the awe of viewing a total solar eclipse from the skies to our passengers the attention to detail from the aircraft selection to the precise timing and onboard gate experiences showcases our commitment to uh, creating memorable moments beyond this unique flight Delta is offering prime eclipse viewing on five additional flights on april the 8th reminding passengers to bring their eclipse glasses uh so dl5699 from detroit to white plains at 2:59 p.m est on an erj 175 uh delta 924 from los angeles to dallas fort worth uh, at 8:40 a.m pst on an a320 uh and there are several other flights there salt lake city to san antonio uh, los angeles to San Antonio, uh, lots of flights there to choose from. Delta also offers flights to several destinations within the Eclipse's path of totality for those preferring to observe from the ground, including Austin, San Antonio, and Little Rock. Warren Weston, Delta Airlines uh, lead meteorologist, 
wow, there's a title, emphasised the significance of the April 8th eclipse, noting this is the last total solar eclipse visible over North America until 2020, uh, 2044, uh, offering a duration and path width significantly greater than the 2017 eclipse, making it a truly extraordinary event. There I bet go. there'll be some people paying the extra money for the window seats on these floors. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Or, or for the, or the VR headset, perhaps. To, to... <laughs> <laughs> or have it's I missed the, the point again? I think you may have done slightly. I mean, <laughs> it's, a, it's a good idea. It's a really good idea, I think, for someone who's not potentially witnessed uh, a, uh, an eclipse before. Mm. Um, it would be definitely interesting to witness it from, you know, 30... Five thirty-six thousand feet, or wherever. Never. What was the last one? Can you remember the last one you saw? Oh, um, or didn't see. I. It was in Cornwall, wasn't it? I went down mm. to Cornwall to see that. Uh, gosh, that's nineteen ninety something, wasn't it? I, I seem to remember. I suppose the best thing about this, as yeah. well, of course, is you are. It, it almost won't matter um, what the weather's like, because essentially you'll be above the clouds anyway, won't you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So true. It's probably the only real way of guaranteeing a fabulous solar eclipse experience. Well, Captain Cruz wasn't impressed with the 2017 eclipse, apparently. Oh, okay. <laughs> Duly noted. <laughs> um, one of the most anticlimax experiences I've ever had. High expectations, but that was that. No. Well, there you go. <laughs> sounds like sounds like advice for life in general. That does. Uh, oh, the la- David Cummings says the last one killed his hamster. Oh, I'm intrigued to know how that works. Actually, maybe I'm not. Okay, I've changed my mind. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. (laughs) I would, I would ask Nick what he thinks, but obviously he's got no audio. So, (laughs) smiling. Yeah, bless him, poor Nick. Yeah, we'll we'll send the tech guys around, Nick. Don't worry, they'll they'll sort your sort your issues out. Uh, moving on to the next part of the show, and for those of you who might. well, might tune in in the chat room and see a certain uh, Richard Flagg in the chat room. And uh, he does a very interesting thing in our area here. We are lucky in the area that me and Matt live here in the UK to have many, many really great airfields and museums right on our doorstep. And, and Armando got the chance to catch up with Richard this week and have a good old chat about exactly what Richard does. You're a listener of the show. We've all been seeing you in the chat room. Um, and I think your YouTube handle uh, kind of perks everybody's interests. And we're all wondering what it is that what is it that you do and how did you end up with that that YouTube handle? Well, um, it's it's a long story. I um, if you've indulged me for a minute, um, I uh, I started. I grew up in Sussex, um, in the southeast of England, and in about two thousand, my uh, uh, year two thousand, my parents moved up to uh, a little village on the Norfolk Suffolk border, just outside the market town of Dis, and um, I spent probably five years then. Well, I was still working with the airlines at the time. um, And I spent five or six years then just continually traveling up and down in my spare time. And I just got to notice a lot of uh, old airfields, derelict control towers, uh, memorials on the side of the road. And it just sparked an interest which has turned into an obsession. Um, And yeah, I think the first time I visited my local, where I live now, uh, near Thorpe Abbotts, uh, the first time I visited there was 20 years ago this year, and it literally sort of sparked an interest that has 
overtaken everything I do in my life aside from my family, my job. What is it that you do? Because I know we kind of we're kind of speaking offline. For me, especially this all kind of spurred from the last show when we were talking about Masters of the Air. For me, it was yeah. really, really special to be living over there. And uh, and I won't lie, I was that guy that was driving to or riding my motorcycle to uh, private fence lines or, or cattle gates so I could get a peek at an old yeah. piece of pavement or asphalt. But what what is it that, that you do with these airfields? What is your goal? Um, I think yeah, and how do you find them? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, I think the goal is I would love to visit every uh, known World War II airfield in the UK. Um, and I made a pretty good dent at that. I think I'm probably about three quarters of the way of doing that. Uh, obviously, a lot of the airfields in Scotland and, and Northern Ireland I haven't yet visited. But it it all started, like I say, 20 years ago when I started visiting Thorpe Abbots and places like that. And obviously, Thorpe Abbots is very well known with the Masters of the Air Link now. Um, just walking out onto that uh, derelict piece of, of tarmac, um, if you know Thorpe Abbots, if you've been there, you've got that uh, that lovely country lane going up across the airfield. And all of a sudden, you've got that, that gate there and this stretch of tarmac, which was once the old taxiway that leads down to the, the control tower, and just stood there looking out and, and just imagining what went on there some sort of 80 years ago now. Um, it had an atmosphere that I kind of, I guess I kind of caught the bug just literally there. And it's once that bug gets into your, into your system, you don't let it go. Um, and these places are, I find are absolutely uh, incredibly powerful to stand on um, and look at and just imagine, close your eyes and listen to the skylarks and imagine what, what it was like and what, what activity was going on there 80 years ago. Um, and it kind of went from there, really. And then, I, like I say, I started finding all the little memorials. Um, and all of a sudden, I was, you know, before I knew it, I was literally typing up lists of airfields and uh, memorials and finding them. And then, obviously, with the, the internet getting bigger and bigger uh, and a lot more information becoming more accessible, um, it was okay, where do I find this? How do I get that? And I got chatting to a couple of good friends of mine who live up in Sheffield. And uh, I still keep in touch with them both uh, today, although our lives have moved very, very separate ways. Um, and uh, we, we sort of said to each other, how do we find out more about airfields? And we ended up online uh, setting up a, a forum, uh, like a chat room forum, and it was uh, called Airfield Information Exchange. And then we got um, got that established and going for a, a, you know, a good few months and turned into a lot of years. Um, and then we got um, approached by uh, a charity called uh, Airfield Research Group, um, who were really, really keen on what we were doing. Um, and they were one, they're one of the sort of very old school. At that point, they weren't a charity. Sorry, I should say. At that point, they weren't a charity. But they were one of these very old school clubs that everything was done by newsletter. A lot of their uh, membership were, you know, in retirement. Um, and they didn't really know how to sort of um, do what, you know, continue what they did. So we got involved with the forum, set that up, and, and literally just sort of started looking at places using a lot of their information then we ended up with a, a, um, a an archive facility uh, which is still you know there today um i helped set up the charity with them uh, i was one of the directors um and then i met my uh, Gemma, who's now my wife um about probably about 11 years ago now um 
I was at, the pro at that point, I was in the process of uh, joining the RAF as a reservist uh, alongside my full-time job um, and uh, continued doing literally everything I could in every hour of the day um, until uh, until I sort of uh, said, right, I can't do any more. So I had to step back from a few things. Mm -hmm. I did my five years in the RAF. I stepped back from the Airfield Research Group, having set it up as a charity, still very involved as a very active member. Um, my own work sort of kind of continued and I set up my website probably 10 12 years ago and literally started publishing all of my photographs and and content on there um then the social media came along and mm. literally started putting it on there and the following grew and grew and grew and i couldn't couldn't believe how much interest there was uh, in what i was doing and like i say it's just sort of kind of really really spiraled especially over the last few years who who have you found as your your target audience or the people that have reached out to you and and is there anyone that has specifically affected you that had a, you know a unique connection or something like that that kind of validated your efforts it's a you know that's a, that's quite a, a hard question to answer but i think when you're when you're sort of out looking at these airfields, you go to a lot of, I mean, you know, the East Anglian landscape, it's, it's littered with airfields. And I'd say probably every one, every other one of those airfields has got a, a museum and you start going out, you're looking at the airfields, you go to the museums and you start building friendships with some of the guys at the museums. And I've got some great connections and great friends at um, Thorpe Abbott's at the 100th Bomb Group Museum, um, the 95th at Horham, um, the 93rd at Hardwick, um, and uh, you know quite quite a lot of the other museums um the the uh, city of norwich aviation museum is another one um they they're all good people they're all trying to tell the story in their own way and um they you know everyone that's involved with this you know has to be 100% commended in what they do because it is it's a selfless task you don't get paid for it um mm -hmm. you just do it for the love of of what you do and you meet so many interesting people i've i've met quite a number of veterans um 100th 95th uh, uh, 490th um uh, which were at i uh, that's another interesting story i can i can tell you if you like as well when we uh, um set up the, uh, a committee in about 2013 uh, to put a memorial at I Airfield, uh, two-year project. Um, there was a small committee of us. There was about eight of us raised about twenty thousand pound, and we put a memorial oh. up to the four ninetieth. Um, and that was one of probably about half a dozen memorials that I've been involved with. That's the one I've probably been most involved with because I led the project as chairman. Um, but I've done a lot of other memorials where I've been advising people on sort of certain airfields, um, designs of memorial, all that sort of thing as well. Um, so you meet all sorts of people um, and every single person you, you talk to and spend a bit of time chatting to, it doesn't matter whether they've served there or whether they're sort of in their teenage years and are sort of just got a passing interest. Everyone finds these places fascinating for their own, own reasons and everyone's got a different story to tell about it. And I just love listening to people and, and what they think of these places. And I get a lot of great feedback from my website and a lot of... Um, I mean, you might, I don't know if you follow me on, on Facebook. You, you probably see some of the comments do, that are yeah. on there. Um, there's some fan fascinating comments, some fantastic things that people say. And, you know, I just love that feedback and I love the ability that I can just put something up there and I know people are enjoying it. It's not out of, uh, you know, out of trying to get something out of myself or trying to get one up on someone else. It's just, it's something I've enjoyed. I've enjoyed doing it for years. And... Um, putting it online for other people to, to enjoy and 
like I said, the comments you get and, oh, my grand grandfather served there, my uncle served there, my dad served there. Mm-hmm. And you get a little bit of information on that. It's just, it's it's nice to, to touch people in, 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 a, in a way that doesn't always happen anywhere else. But that's aviation, I guess. You can, you know, yeah. it's, it's a small world. It really is. It is amazing how small the community, the aviation community is once you start digging into you find you, these amazing connections. I think that's why I yeah. still love it. I, I want to know though, what, what has been your most challenging airfield to either find research or access? I guess any of the active ones. Um, <laughs> right. Okay. That not makes perfect in, not sense. <laughs> not, not in terms of, of finding them, because I think everyone knows where all the active ones are, but I think um, in terms of sort of accessing and, and, and building the right relationships. Um, yeah. I had a, um, a lot of good um, connections, and I'll, um, I'll highlight one person in particular, uh, Paul Francis. He's the current chairman of Airfield Research Group, and he was one of the uh, um, guys that was very instrumental in, in getting us involved with Airfield Research Group in sort of 2008-2009. And uh, he's remained a very, very good friend of mine. And uh, he's, his connections um, are, are unreal. He does what I do as a full-time job. Um, and uh, he's, you know, he does a lot of reports for, for various heritage organizations, Ministry of Defense, and so on and so forth. And um, I built up some great connections with Paul um, through English Heritage and a lot of the other heritage um, bodies around the UK. Um, and... Yeah, some of the people we've met and some of the people that have invited us on to, you know, um, places like Feltwell that, you know, no one would normally get mm-hmm. access to. But, you know, to be able to get on, you know, Feltwell or even um, uh, down in Cornwall, um, Portreath, for example, uh, radar station, um, you know, being invited on there through another another friend of mine. And that sort of access you don't get. It's just building those connections. And, you know, I like to think what I do um you know, it, it, it just brings people along and, you know, I get a lot of people sort of say, oh, you know, have you seen this? If not, would you like to? Um, and I think that's great. You know, the, the goodwill and, and generosity of people, I think is fantastic. And I'm always very careful because being ex-military as well myself, I mean, you, you, you know what it's like. You've got to be so careful in what, you, uh, what you're looking at, um, what you're photographing and mm-hmm. what's in the background, I think, is is the uh, the biggest thing with, with um uh, being on a um, military base, um, you can go on uh, an organised tour. Yeah, I mean, Mildenhall and Lake and Heath do tours, base tours. You go up, see air traffic. You see one of the aircraft. Um, you might have a look at the dog section. You might have a look at the the, the gun section, which, whichever it is. And you, you get some nice access that way. But when you, you're invited on by other people, yeah. you can certainly see sort of things. And the, those tours are is one thing. So brilliant. They're pre-arranged. You see a lot of great stuff. But when you're invited on, you see things that other people don't necessarily get to see. And like I say, you've just got to be careful what you're looking at because you don't know what's in the background. And if you're taking a picture of something, <laughs> all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's in the background. Right, I need to edit that out, blur that out somehow. And, and that's that. Um, you know, usual sort of thing. People, cars, that sort of thing you try and avoid. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's nice being able to do that. And um, yeah, I think that's that's obviously the hardest bit is is knowing what's okay to photograph, knowing what you, what you can publish, and and that sort of thing. Uh, in terms of airfields and finding airfields, I guess some of the hardest ones, believe it or not, are probably the World War One flying fields, because they were so temporary in some cases, and records are very very sketchy in terms of where they were. Um, 
So you can look at places like Stowe Marys in, in Essex, which is one of the most complete World War One airfields uh, left in the UK. And there's a lot of really, really good things that they've done there in terms of turning it into a museum, um, restoring the buildings. Um, and that's a fantastic place. And again, recommend anyone go there. Um, it's, it's brilliant. Um, but when you're looking at some of the smaller sort of um, landing sites that they had that were literally just tented accommodation no hangars trying to work out the, the, the where yeah. they were is, is a lot harder um and you might have the use of google earth and you might have a look at the you know google maps and stuff like that but when you've only got a rough idea rough grid square of, of where this mm. this airfield was you're then literally looking at hedge lines field lines boundaries and over 100 uh, you know 100 110 years ago these have changed changed massively and uh, trying to pinpoint some of that is is always going to end up as a as a rough area. Yeah, we always um, when we flew generally over East Anglia, but our our general training flights would take us all over the country. And yeah. for me, being such a uh, an enthusiast about especially World War II airfields, it was always really neat for me and interesting to look down. Um, <clears throat> from either my work aircraft, you know, and the Air Force from the Osprey, or I, you know, I flew that Super Cub out of RAF Barry St. Edmonds. And, it, and you can yep. make out the outlines and you, you always can. wonder, it's like, what, you know, what, <laughs> I, I wonder if that was an airfield, but you, but they almost have a very unique shape that you can see from the air. Yeah. And 90% and of the time you can go back on Google Earth, like you're saying, and, and realize, oh yeah, that was, you know, Tibinum or that was I, or that was, uh, yeah. Scunthorpe or something like that. So, absolutely, yeah. And they're they're um, they're quite distinctive. Once you know what you're looking for, you can pick the shapes out, the field lines, the boundaries, just the shape of the bit of taxiways or the bit of runways that are still there. You can you can spot them a mile off. And um, I, I'm I'm fortunate that I'm involved with a, a little flying club uh, called Priory Farm Aviators. Priory Farm's a small grass strip, 600 meters long, that is about a quarter mile. Um, west of Tibbenham Airfield. Mm-hmm. It's a little north-south uh, 0119 strip. I've been on the uh, committee there about 14 years, 15 years now. I've been involved and, in, you know, mm-hmm. thankfully, uh, I, I'm non, non-flying member. I don't have a license, but, you know, I'm very thankful that uh, one or two of the members take me up sort of semi-regularly, so hence the, you see some of my aerial photos yeah. like that. And um, it, it's fascinating when you go up, you literally see it. I mean, Google is one thing for picking out the airfields, but seeing them yourself with yeah. with a Mark, Mark 1 eyeball is is certainly totally different to, to look at them from above. And then you realize when you look at one, all of a sudden, the next one comes into to view and the next one comes into view. And you realize how close a lot of these, these places are and, and how busy the skies would have been. Um, yeah. You know, we we think we have busy skies now when you've got the F-15s and the F-35s out of Lake and Heath, the 135s, the Ospreys, the 130s and stuff out of Mildenhall. Um, you might you might get an F-35 up out of Marham. It depends on what they're doing. Um, you know, I think they've got a few base there, but you never seem to see, see them fly very often. Um, but you might you might get a few up out of there. Then you've got Norwich Air Traffic. You've got the the airliners going in there. You've got the airliners into Stansted and 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 uh, Luton as well. And they all come across the top of the skies of East Anglia now. And if you can imagine, you know, sort of 10, 20 years ago, probably when you had places like Coltishall open, Honington with, with aircraft, um, and, you know, one or two of the other bases around here that, that had active aircraft, it was, it was busy. You know, we think it's busy now. It was busy then. But when you've got 50 airfields in Norfolk and 40 airfields in Suffolk active, um, 
in the Second World War, and, and you know, each of them's got sort of 50, 60 B-17s, B-24s, or whatever on there. You know, trying to put the missions together and trying to get the air, air the aircraft in the sky and flying. You know, and it's just an amazing feat. Yeah. How did they do it? You know, I, I, something that I, you know, I still can't fathom. I find it very difficult to to sort of get in my head now that that you know that was even possible back then. And, well, how uh, did they find them? How did I, I? This is a genuine question because I don't know the answer. What, so you have 100, 150 aircraft coming back f- yeah. across the channel. How did they find their station? Did they have identifiers, beacons? Was it written on the airfield somewhere, or was it just pure? I think I think it was just navigation. They knew they knew where the airfield was. I mean, you fly, but obviously, you know, a lot. You know, today's flying is so different to what it was back then. <laughs> um, you know, you, they didn't have the computers where you do now and all yeah. that sort of thing. You can't rely on Sky Demon and that type of uh, that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, I think it was just navigation, but I think it, coming back, I mean, if you've watched Masters of the Air, or if you're watching the series as it is now, you know, you see that was it episode two, episode one, when they came back and he crash landed in, in Scotland because mm-hmm. he literally just made it across the sea. Um, yeah, I think when they were coming back with the missions, the ones that were could get back to the airfields did, the other ones just got down where they could. Yeah. Um, I figured, probably figure out where where am I, where they were. get yeah. some fuel and then... Go, if the aircraft there, was huh? uh, yeah, if the aircraft was uh, flyable, they'd they'd get back. But seeing seeing the state of of some of the the, the aircraft that arrived back, I mean, you know, some of them massively beat up, yeah. and just unreal. You know what these guys had to go through. I mean, they don't call them the greatest generation for nothing. You, yeah. you know, can you imagine the kids these days, twenty twenty one, twenty two, twenty three, twenty four, twenty five year olds? You imagine ten of them getting in an aircraft at that age, B seventeen, and flying it across. Unreal. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine it. I'm 47 nearly, and I can't imagine doing that. <laughs> so, what, what of these airfields? Which one would you say has? Um, well, I guess, I guess Duxford would would take the cake as far as museums. Um, but I know when on the last show we were talking about Harrington. Um, Harrington yeah. for me was really unique. Those, the uh, the museum curators and the volunteers there did a really outstanding job because the uh, 801st bomb group, the carpetbaggers that were there, yeah. that is direct lineage to Air Force Special Operations Command. And our our leadership at Mildenhall in the Special Operations Wing was um, very cognizant of that. And and yeah. we would go to Harrington to do our, our leadership offsites. And it was so special to me and our leaders, but it was special to them that, that the American... Air Force was still coming over there and we would we would take yeah. you know a whole day to go through the museum and sort of remember and then we would get on with our business for the rest of the weekend yeah. um, but which which of these airfields you know if you had to rank them top three accessible airfields or museums that you would recommend to people where would you send them put me on the spot there on that on that one <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know as I alluded to earlier, every museum is special in its own way. Um, I don't think I could, and I don't think it would be fair yeah. of me to rank a, a top three of them. Um, I think every museum is fantastic in its own way. Um, and anyone who has an interest in, uh, be it the 8th, the 9th, RAF, Coastal Command, Fighter Command, you know, just aviation in general, 
every museum is fantastic on its own merits. Um, and I, you know, there are so many um, out there and I, you know, we've named quite a number yeah. already, but you could look at, you know, others like uh, Bentley Priory, Uxbridge, you could go down on the south coast to places like Tangmere, uh, there's a, the, the museum at Davidstone Moor in Cornwall, there's the Bristol Area Collection. There, there's so many um, good museums out there. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't think I could put, I put one okay, down as a favourite. Re- fair really enough. Good. I'll let you off the hook then on that one. Yeah. Um, what about the landowners? This is always something that I would, that I'm curious about. Aside from the ones, so for me, REF Barryson had been slowly being taken over by yeah. housing um, and the flying club that I was part of there had to shut down last such March. Such a shame. Yeah. That yeah. Was such a shame that last year. So what do you, what's your impression on the landowners in general? Do they uh, appreciate what they have and the land that they're on? Is it, um, you know, a conservation effort? What, what, what's been your general interaction with the landowners? Again, a very difficult one. Um, when I go out and look at old airfields, um, you know, if you demonstrate you've got a genuine reason, 99% of landowners absolutely fine. Um, you know, it, it's it's the old uh, the old thing. You know what they say: you go along with a, a clipboard and a high vis, and you can get anywhere. Um, you know, it's it's that sort of thing. If I, I go to these places, I've got a, a site plan in my hands. Um, you know, showing what the airfield was, what was what was built there as it was as the air ministry designed it for. Um, you know, in, in in World War Two, and I go along, and quite often you bump into to a landowner. Make yourself as visible as possible. If you can't find who who you're looking for, um, I always make myself as visible as possible. And if it's gated. It's clearly gated for a reason, yeah. um, and you you stick to public rights of ways. All I'll say, and, and you know, when these things, when you start meeting people, and coming back to what we were saying earlier, you meet a lot of really fantastic people. You know, some of the landowners, they know what they've got. They, that, you know, they understand that people are interested in it, and I think if you go along and and the right approach, the right you know, you're friendly, you're, you're, you're cheerful and you go along and you've got your site plan. You, you can demonstrate you're interested in it. You go along, you know, you've got your T-shirt. I've got, you know, it's a USAF mm. Heritage Trust T-shirt on here. Um, you, you can see the landowners are, are fairly engaging, you know, and they're, they're happy to chat and they'll have stories about the land they're farming or the land that they own and they'll tell you certain things and, oh, you know, why don't you come along here? We've got, you've got this you know, buried underground battle headquarters here that, you know, do you want to come and see that? We've got, you know, a couple of buildings around here, you know, can't, you know, people can't only get because they're in the middle of the farm. Uh, Do you want to come and see those? And that, you you know, 99% of the time, they're absolutely fantastic. Um, You occasionally get the odd jobs worth. um, And (laughs) in in which case, (laughs) you know, you say, you know, you just turn around and say, yeah, no, it's fine. Not a problem. I'll, you know, another time come, you go, go back another time. You might get a different response. There might be someone else there. Um, all I'd say is never push your luck when, when going out to visit these, these places. Um, a lot of them are, you know, are still quite dangerous. There's still a, you know, you can go to a lot of communal sites, living, living sites, and they've still got open drains. You know, if you've had a winter, the leaves have all fallen, you're not necessarily going to see the drain. You might fall into it, all that sort of thing. So, you, you know, as long as you approach things the right way, make sure you know you're only going where is is publicly accessible um you know 
you, again, I, again, you, you know, being over here yourself, you know, you get um, a lot of places, a lot of um, the countryside, you get shooting season. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want to go out exploring in the middle of the winter because you might have someone with a shotgun trying to trying to get some of the pheasants or something like that. It's it's that sort of thing. You know, common sense is is key when you're exploring yeah. old airfields. Um, you know, I think in in twenty years, I've probably only ever come across a couple of people that have have been no not allowed on my land type of thing. Um, and that's fine. Just respect that and, and uh, move on. Yeah. You know, if you're, that, if you're that desperate to go and see what they've got there, get in a plane and fly across the top. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, luckily, you have that opportunity, don't you? Yeah. And, and I've, also, I've also got a, a drone as well, which I, I use quite yeah. regularly for, for a, um, a lot of, uh, lot of uh, research. And that's a fantastic piece of, piece of equipment. It's a fantastic tool Amazing, to have. Right? Um, now, you know, so- different perspectives. Do you have a, a a battle plan, an ops plan to go take off all those airfields that you haven't yet? <laughs> yeah, I've got. Um, you know, I, I've built on my website. I've built um, a map of I've called it flying sites in the U- in the UK, um, purely because I've included grass strips, World War One flying sites, helipads, all of that, and I've got over two thousand three hundred flying sites. Um, marked on the on this map that i built and i'm looking at them and i've colored the ones that i've been to um i've got you know i know the ones that i haven't been to this is you know just on the second world war and first world war flying sites and i'm determined to get there i mean this this year i've i've um i've said to my wife we've got a very we've got a young daughter she's four and a half so it's been very difficult to to get out um uh, a lot over the past few years when she's when she's really young as as you know yourself with with kids mm. um and she's at a, a stage now that um you know i you know I, I can go away for a night or i can go away for a couple of nights and that sort of thing and it's a little bit easier because there's a you know um you know Gemma finds it will find it a bit easier with 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 that so it makes um makes that a bit nicer and i'm planning one of the trips i'm planning this year is down to devon um i haven't I haven't been to, and I'm ashamed to say, I still haven't been to uh, uh, Dunkerswell, a pottery, and Calmhead. And you know yourself, Airborne, Band of Brothers, yeah. airfield, very airfields that they they flew from. And and uh, I'm, yeah, I haven't been, never been down there. Although I've driven past so many times, um, so I've made it um, one of my key goals uh, in the first six months of this year. You know, hopefully by June, I'd have been down there. Yeah. Um, and I'm planning two or three days down there. There's a couple of other places in, in Dorset and, and Hampshire that I want to go and visit. Um, I want to try and get a bit of time in Wales to, to look at some of those. Um, and yeah, there's a game plan. It changes depending on what mood I'm in and what the weather's like, really. But there yeah. is a game plan. <laughs> That's great. So, no, uh, I know you've mentioned the website a couple of times. So for our listeners uh, that aren't already following you, where can they find you? What's the website, your social media um, it's UK Airfields. So uh, if you on Facebook or Instagram, I'm literally UK Airfields. Uh, the website is www.ukairfields.org.uk. Yeah. Well, listen, as a as a fellow service member, I really appreciate what you do because um, I've mentioned it on the show so many times. When I went to fly there at Ruffham or even Cambridge or or uh, or, or Duxford, it was never lost on me the people that had walked those same footsteps before me. Um, and I, you know, I still get chills just kind of thinking about, and I would always just kind of take a, a moment walking by that control tower, that what 80 year old control tower now, and just kind of 
sit there and, and, and take it in before going to fly. So I, again, as a fellow service member, I think it's important to, um, you know, what's one of the things that you guys do best over there is to remember and, and to create this yeah. heritage. Um, I, so thank you for, for keeping this memory alive. <laughs> I, I, I don't need, generally, I don't need any thanks. I just enjoy doing it. And I, you know, it's, it, it makes me happy that people enjoy what I do. You know, these, you, you talk about the servicemen there in the past, you know, the, you only have to go to, uh, to places like Mattingly and you understand mm -hmm. the impact that this area, you know, East Anglia, the Midlands, where the Americans are based, you only have to, you, you go there, you understand why people do it. It's um, it's a phenomenal place that uh, brings a tear to my eye every time I go, um, and yeah, to, like I said, you know, walking around these places, you you know, you said it just said that they're powerful places. The emotion yeah. that you, you get, you stand there, you know. I'm very lucky that Thorpe Abbotts is literally a half an hour walk, twenty five minute walk from my house, um, and on a summer's day, I am very very regularly found down there, and I'm just stood on the top of the control tower looking out across the airfield, and you know, that brings me, you know, to, on, on to say, you know, the, these places, you know, with Masters of the Air, these are going to be very busy places this year. And I recommend anyone, anyone go. Um, sadly, we're losing some of these places. You know, this year we've, or well, this past year, we've lost the control tower at, um, at Shipdom in Norfolk. That's uh, sadly been demolished. Oh. Um, Hethel was demolished a couple of years ago. You know, some of these places, you know, as, as historically important as they are, there are still people that don't necessarily see, you know, the value in there. Um, you know, Shipdom, I should say that the, the, the company that own it, Falcon Cranes, they are planning to, to rebuild it uh, or rebuild a, a, a faithful replica um, of, of the, the one that was knocked down there. That was due to subsidence and all that sort of thing, uh, which affects buildings. Um, so, yeah, the, you know, make sure you go out and, and see these places that's all i say to people that you know get a get an idea of what was there you know a lot of people don't realize the history that's on their doorstep and especially in, in norfolk and suffolk where it impacted the you yeah. know the people um the way of life i mean a lot of these villages they didn't have electricity they didn't have you know sewage works and places like that until the airfields arrived you know some of these villages are still using the same sewage works that was built for the airfield <laughs> in in the 40s and and that is that's that's what they're doing it's yeah. it's that how the the social impact as well and and that everyone in the villages that have got you know live near an airfield have, have got stories about the airfields as well you know they've all yeah. got family that were there in the war they all know you know you know all know people and i'm like i say i'm very very lucky to be in touch with you know some of the veterans that are still alive and the families of, of some of the veterans as well it's just you know just love it it's brilliant yeah well, Rich, thank you for taking the time out of your evening to be with us. And uh, if you get any good feedback from any of our listeners or somebody reaches out to you, let us know and we'll we'll do this again. Definitely. No, I certainly will. <laughs> Thanks, okay. Armando. Thank you. We'll talk to you later. All right. Cheers. Thanks Love to Armando that. for that. So good. And thanks to Richard as well for uh, taking time out of his day to uh, record that, obviously, with Armando. 
uh, earlier this Yeah, but week why and... wouldn't you, though? Uh, this is the thing, isn't it? It's well, like, it, isn't uh, it, isn't hello, it? I'm Armando. You might have heard me. I'm the, like coolest to to me? I'm the coolest <laughs> human being on planet Earth. Oh, I'm going to stand in my hangar. I'll probably show you round while we're here. Uh, that mm. sort of thing. I mean, if you're an aviation uh, lover, why on Earth wouldn't you want to sort of chat to Armando? It's, it's nice to hear Richard. Um, Richard, he's... There's, there's one thing to say about Richard. He's dedicated to what he does. And that is good because I think what we need in, in, well, not so much our area, but all around the UK as well, is people to to go and visit these museums and that, that are kind of scattered around the UK. And as I said before, we started that piece. Me and Matt are very lucky here where we live in East Anglia in, on the east coast of the UK because we have got a heck of a lot of really, really good museums based on old Second World War airfields. Um, you know, one's literally on our doorstep now. We could probably walk to it in, what, 15, 20 minutes, Matt? Walk to it from, from our home? Yeah, something like that, It's yeah. just down the road. And, you know, go a bit further, you've got Seething, where we had our flying a few years back. Uh, PTK flying, also got a museum there. And as Richard said on the piece there, You've got the Thorpe Abbott's Bomb Group there, which have got their fantastic museum on the site there, including the Control Tower and the Nissen Huts there on site with pieces in. So we are lucky, really, really lucky here, I think, here in the UK. And anyone who's uh, visiting the UK from the US or, or further afield, we are in the, oh, uh, in the back end of nowhere. I was going to say something else mm. then. We are in the back end of nowhere here, but it is worth the visit to... Um, to Norfolk and Suffolk where we are here on the east coast if you are visiting the UK because as I said a lot of these museums not only are they really well placed and full of content our local one here which is huge is free mm. to get in doesn't cost you a penny which is fantastic it's also quite nice for me personally because uh, Richard is actually a customer of the company I work for as, as well uh, so that that's quite nice and uh, I was just so impressed about Richard's um, encyclopedic knowledge about the whole thing I, I had no idea uh, that his research was as extensive as it has been. So we're just going to give him a shout out for his websites again, uh, and that's uh, www.ukairfields.org.uk, and you can find him on Facebook uh, at UK Airfields, and I think he mentioned Instagram as well. So just do a, a search for UK Airfields. Uh, but uh, no, really, really fascinating, Richard. Thank you very much indeed for taking the time to tell us all about it. I'm sure you get a lot of good feedback. Yeah, I think as well, Rich is going to pop in for a brew around uh, with me. I was going to say, he's very close to he's where very you close work, to. isn't he? <laughs> yes. Right, it's time for Caption This, just for fun. The picture we post on our social medias, uh, hopefully nearly every week. We try and get them out every week. Uh, this week, uh, we posted a picture on our page. And um, it's safe to say, whoever flew this aircraft, Nev, I think they either, uh, well... I think they had a slight issue. Seems yes, like there's some there's some bent props there. I think it's the the, the best way I can describe it. Um, but uh, quite artistic in, in many respects as well, I would yeah. say. Um, but uh, we were not short of people who had uh, written in with their suggestions and, and comments about it. No, first off, uh, we had uh, from well, well-known aviation person. Uh, in the industry, Rob Mark uh, messaged in, said, "But curved propellers blades just look way more interesting." Yes, they do. 
It yeah. did, to be fair. Uh, Jacob Darlington Brown says they're just winglets for propellers. <laughs> I like that one. I like that. Yeah. Matt, can't see anything here, I'm afraid. Okay. Uh, I think Nick's Nick's on silent. He's still got audio issues. Uh, Matthew says it will buff out. It's always original. Always works. Uh, and our friend uh, Neil Braden says, trust me, it worked well in wind tunnel testing. Yeah, I bet. Uh, the lovely Jenny over in Rome says, I had my propellers permed and blow-dried. Ah, oh, I like that one. Yes. Uh, uh, Stephen Ivey says, the new art display at Duxford. I'll we'll have to keep our eyes open for that one. Yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> uh, Nick C., uh, someone who's got audio issues, <laughs> says, Pringles make a surprise entry into the aviation market. ha <laughs> Uh, Chris Gurney says, a bit late on the round out, Hoskins. <laughs> or simply, oh, bugger. Uh, right. Okay. I mean, that's. They, I think we're allowed to. There that. goes the family rating. Yeah. Uh, Darren <laughs> says, uh, this, is, this is one for you, Nev. I hate the film speed on my mobile. Makes the props look bent. Oh, yes. yes. I like that. Yes. Uh, Ian Edwards, good chum of mine, uh, screwed. He says, and looks like that's exactly what's happened, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, Chris comes back with another one. He says, uh, who raised the runway? <laughs> <laughs> uh, John Falk says, the new 3D printed propeller blades failed at the coffee frothing test. <laughs> My word, there's, there's some sophistication to a lot of these comments, isn't there? Uh, James, uh, trying to keep the family rating here. James says, uh, props feathered. No, they're not working properly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I was going to say there. So, yes, thank you for everyone. We're going to have a look in the chat room to see if uh, anyone's had a little comment in there. Uh, Dirk uh, says, uh, as a German, I don't want to comment on this shape. Okay. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Moving, yes. Uh, moving on. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> oh, my. Uh, Richard Adams <laughs> says, Captain to FO. That's not quite what I meant when I said, Feather the prop. Right. <laughs> Aaron P says, Trust me, it's more aerodynamic. I suppose yeah, it could be. Aerodynamic? No. Uh, May Man Micah goes with uh, how I like to wear my hair when I have it uh, styled. He says, You can't notice this comb over, can you? Uh, Ridiculous Wits, the the turbo that seems to be missing its casing. Right, yes. Uh, Richard Adams. Yes. There's Fan Stop. Fan Stop! Yes. Uh, Or my favourite at the moment, Dirk S, the perpendicular propeller. Say that after two seconds. No, no, not possible. I have to say, Neb, I think this aircraft, I mean, this is an actual picture. I mean, can you imagine the vibration from the engine with this prop running? I, yes, I, I think you, you would notice it, wouldn't you? Uh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it certainly wouldn't fly. I think that's a guarantee. No, no. <laughs> I think that might be an issue. And I think, look, judging by the, the direction of those propellers, I think that has actually been feathered. Right, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah I think so, yeah. yes. Anyway, thanks for everyone for commenting this week. Very, very good indeed. We'll try and get one out next week as well on our social media for you to comment on as uh, we do. Uh, look forward to that. Now, 
what's going on next week. We've got a little bit of listener feedback coming up in a moment. But, uh, Nev, just quickly, what's going on next week? This time next week, we'll all be packing our PTUK suitcases. We will be. And, uh, yes, I'm very much looking forward to this. Uh, so we have uh, myself, Matt, Carlos, and Matt from the A320 podcast. We're going to be flying over to Dublin. Uh, for the Drone Summit and Mobility Now conference. Uh, that's at the RDS in Dublin on March the 1st and 2nd. And we shall be there covering the show, doing lots of interviews with people. Uh, and then we, in the evening of Saturday the 2nd of uh, sorry, uh, yes, Saturday the 2nd of March, uh, we shall be at the Clayton Hotel in Ballsbridge in Dublin, and we're going to be there with some PTUK listeners, hopefully. So if you would like to come along and you're in the area, please give us a shout. It's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com, just so we can get an idea of numbers. Uh, we'll be in the hotel bar, I would imagine. Uh, and um, I don't know if Matt's got a, a picture of, of the uh, of the hotel there. Well, it's very nice. Uh, but, uh, it's, very it's, nice. It's, it's quite nice, I have to say, this one. And it's right next to the, uh, the RDS site itself. Uh, a former school, uh, our producer John tells me as well, ah. as you can probably see. So, mm. uh, yeah, absolutely fascinating. Podcast at plaintalkinguk.com if you would like to come along on the Saturday evening. And then we should be flying back on the Sunday. But actually, on the, on the Thursday that we're flying out there, our good friend uh, Alan White is uh, assisting us with some transport and logistics, but also uh, going to uh, a secret location where we'll be doing some filming and interviews as well. Ooh. So I'm looking forward to doing that on Thursday afternoon. So um, secret, yeah. even I don't know what we're doing. That well, there you like go, fun. you see. It's, it's <laughs> on a need-to-know basis. Clearly, I don't need to know. That's marvellous. You can leave me in the bar, Nev. I'll look after things there. No, that's fine. Yeah, that's Matt, Matt, yeah. The bar go. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, so we're looking forward to that next week. Obviously, it'd be great to see you if you are listening to the show and uh, you are in the the, re the area of Dublin near the RDS Arena. It'd be great to uh, to meet some of you guys and girls out there. Now, Nev, we had some listener feedback sent in to us, haven't we, from a listener. And this is actually quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. And thank you very much to our listener, Gavin, uh, from New Zealand. So Gav actually originally hails from the UK and used to live a stone's throw from a London Gatwick airport. In fact, he's the admin of the uh, Memories of Gatwick Airport Facebook group, which has over 8,000 members now. So have a look for that on Facebook, Memories of Gap, uh, Gatwick Airport. So Gav now lives in Wellington in New Zealand and he says he watches every week on YouTube. So first of all, thank you very much indeed Gav for doing that and we really appreciate you listening but we're also grateful for you getting in touch and contributing to the show. Uh, Gav wants to tell us about the Bring Our Birds Home organisation. Uh, first of all the website is bringourbirdshome.co.nz um, upon opening the website yourself, you'll, you'll see a very striking image of a very sad-looking uh, Boeing 707, I think, I think it is, uh, on, on the... DC-8. Uh, oh, is it a DC-8, is it? Oh, it is. Yes, it is a DC-8. Beg your pardon. I've just noticed that. Um, but this is quite interesting. Uh, the mission statement says, In 2017, broadcaster and aviation enthusiast Paul Brennan launched the campaign seeking to save, secure and eventually recover all of the last remaining members of the Teal 
NAC, Air New Zealand and Mount Cook Airlines airliner fleets, delivered between 1959 and 1988. The idea started to check to see if any of the six aircraft types remain intact with four of them abandoned and derelict at locations around the world. It's the eventual plan to display these artefacts at the Transport and Toy Museum in Wanaka. Uh, the airframes include the airline type that brought the Beatles to New Zealand, a freighter that was once fit to carry the Queen, uh, the aircraft that flew New Zealand's commercial jet service, and the Lord of the Flings, sorry, Lord of the Rings, I beg your pardon, uh, 747. Uh, well, thank you very much indeed for uh, getting in touch, Gav. So we really appreciate your time uh, for doing that. Um, and uh, if anybody else has got any interesting stories, please send them to us at podcast.plaintalkinguk.com. Uh, so the website again uh, is bringourbirdshome.co.nz if you'd like to find out more. And thank you again to Gav for getting in touch. Mm, yeah, the, the DC-8 looks very much like the 707 now, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? Very, yes. very yeah. similar. Very yeah. similar indeed. But yeah, thanks for sending that in. Very interesting indeed. And it, it's, that's a mammoth task, Gosh, getting all yeah. those aircraft back. Yeah, a big project, isn't it? Yeah, but uh, I, hope, I hope they're successful in finding as many as they can. Yeah, yeah, we need to save more of these old historic airliners. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, some space at Duxford. If you're listening, Duxford, you've got space there. Hmm. Perhaps we should, yes, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yes, that is where we're going to start to to wrap up the show. But uh, first, uh, Nev, social media links. Where can uh, all our glorious listeners find out more about the show? Oh, yes. Have a look on the socials on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Just search for Plain Talking UK. You'll find us there. Uh, the WhatsApp number for the show is plus 44 757 229166. That's plus 44 757 As I mentioned earlier, the email address is podcast at plain talking if you'd like to send any comments into us. And the website of course is plaintalkinguk.com uh, you can subscribe to the youtube channel too you'll get notifications when we go live and you can help shape the conversation of the show by joining us in the chat room as many people have done today just have a look at youtube.com and search for plain talking uk you can become a patron of the show of course and help contribute to the running of the show uh, by patreon and also by paypal the details of that are on our website plaintalkinguk.com and we'd love to hear from you. So do send in your feedback. Now, Nev, quick round, Robin. What's, what's Mr. Bounds up to next week? Oh, a lot next week. Uh, I'm on the plane again, I'm pleased to say. So I'm flying up to Edinburgh on Monday morning uh, early, uh, doing some appointments there. And then I'm getting the train up to Aberdeen, um, changing at Dundee on the way up there. It's a beautiful train journey all the way up the coast uh, there. And it's if the weather's nice, it's perfect. So I'm then uh, coming back uh, to Edinburgh for some appointments on Tuesday and flying back home on Tuesday uh, late afternoon. And then, of course, flying to Dublin on Thursday with yeah. uh, Matt C from the A320 podcast. So we'll be together on one plane. And you and Matt will be on another plane, won't you? We certainly will. I, I'm guessing that you and uh, Mr. Matt C will be making full use of uh, BA's lounge at two. I'll, I'll see if I can guest him in. I'll, I'll see if they'll let him in. <laughs> shall I? Yeah. I'm sure they will. I mean, and 
Matt, what's uh, going on next week with you? Apart from coming to see me for dinner, obviously. I mean, coming to see you for dinner, um, and then just... Uh, it's, uh, unfortunately, the diary's pretty empty at the moment because of the early morning commitment at the moment, while yes. one of our wonderful DJs is uh, having what I can only describe as a full-service and MOT um, before uh, being returned, <laughs> hopefully joining us again soon. So, yeah, so I, I'm sitting in what I'm going to describe as the scariest seat in radio, certainly in this part of the world, Anyway, but, uh, breakfast yeah. show, you know, that is yeah, the one, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, absolutely, yes. indeed, scary stuff. Uh, Nick, I would ask you what you're doing next week, but as your microphone doesn't work, that's going to be an issue. So, uh, Nick will be doing lots of cycling next week on his motorbike in the summer weather or sunny weather, and uh, I'm sure he'll be. Um, putting together some fabulous show notes for next week's show. And um, we might also have another host, guest host joining us next week as well on the show. So that is where we're going to bring the show to an end. Big thanks to all the YouTube family who've joined in on the show tonight in the chat room. All the usual family members in there. Great to see you all joining us on this Wednesday evening. Don't forget, we are live on a Wednesday night at 7 o'clock here on YouTube. If you fancy joining us here, uh, you can join in in the chat room fun because it is a big old laugh. So that's it for episode 491 of the show. Thanks to Nick for his help with the show notes this week. Thanks to our producer, John, as well. He's probably up in the air, flying somewhere around the world at the moment. Oh, very much so. Flying home as we speak. Flying home. And uh, that's it. Take care. Have a great uh, week, rest of the week, and great weekend, whatever you're up to. And we'll see you all next Wednesday. Say goodbye, Nev. Yeah, take care. See you next week.